Stone Chats, Small Talks About Homeschooling, presented by Wildwood Curriculum, a Charlotte Mason education for all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stone Chats. Uh, Last week, we talked about one way to teach children to read, and today we're talking about what to do when your child is having trouble reading. Joining us is reading specialist and dyslexia consultant, Kim Stoddard. Kim is a homeschooling mom of six boys, four of whom have reading struggles and a former public school teacher. Welcome here, Kim. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey to become a reading specialist? Sure. I started uh, teaching way back in the early 90s and um, I uh, loved teaching and then I had um, my first two uh, biological kids and my first one learned how to read very easily and my second one did not and that was the very beginning of oh my goodness what do I do here I was a teacher and I had a child who was really struggling in reading and um, his kindergarten teacher was fabulous. I loved her. And she kept saying, Oh, I think there's something wrong with his vision. I think there's something wrong with his hearing. I think there's something wrong. But we never got to the bottom of what it was. And his first grade teacher actually said, you know, I think there's some other things and but nobody knew what to do. And so I started really looking into programs, found out about Orton Gillingham, which is a style of learning. Um, and started, I, I started really looking at what are, what are the things that you can do to help kids that struggle with reading. And my son was a preemie, and so he had lots of different issues, and one of which was dyslexia. He also had some severe auditory issues. Um, so the combination was a little difficult. And then I have adopted four more kids, and literally three out of the four <laughs> ended up with dyslexia. I also have a couple of them, you know, one has a couple of them have autism. We have one with a brain injury. And so I kept watching my kids struggle. And even though I had learned a lot, I still didn't know everything that I needed to know. So I um, began going back to school, um, became a reading specialist. Um, and then cont- even from that, I didn't have enough training. So I kept going, okay, there's more. And that's when I kind of stumbled onto dyslexia and what do you need to do for kids with dyslexia? And I realized how important a very specific format of teaching kids with dyslexia was. And um, it has worked beautifully with my own kids. It has worked beautifully with many other kids. And so my, my love is helping families who are really struggling because this is common struggling and reading is it's one in every five kids struggles. And so I really want to help families learn how to help their kids become readers because that's pretty much you need to read to be successful in our society. I think that's something that's really important to stress there. One in five, that means 20% of people struggle with reading because as parents, we tend to think, my child is the only one in the neighborhood who's having troubles, or my child is the only one in the whole class that would struggle. Or when I was a child, I never did. And no, everybody, right? Air quotes, everybody in my third grade class or fourth grade class read just fine. And I, and my child isn't there yet. So I must be doing something wrong, but that is completely not true. Because 20%, one in five people, adults and children, right? Not just children. Nope. 
because there's lots of adults walking around that are still struggling with reading because they were never, they never knew how to fix it or how to help. And they just struggled their way through school. So you're not alone. That's what I want to say is you are not alone. Well, and I think it's really important because I think one of the things that we do as a homeschooling mother as well is we often think when our child's struggling, it's our fault, right? That we haven't, we're doing something wrong. We're not educated enough. We haven't picked the right curriculum. And, and some of that may be true. Some of that may play in, like we may be um, missing some of the skills we need to assist our child, but it's not like we're doing something wrong. Do you know? And a lot of, a lot of curriculums out there, and it really depends, is it's very Um, there's a lot of whole language. There's a lot of, um, you know, my kids will get it in their own time and, and 80% of the kids, that's exactly what's going to happen. You can provide the curriculum and they will, but there's that 20% that it, it, that's not the way that they're going to learn. And you have to go about it a different way. And parents don't know, you don't know when your child is born or when you adopt them that, Ooh, this is how my child is going to (laughs) learn. And you can see how you're gonna you you're gonna pick and choose and do the best you can but then the thing is now once I know my child doesn't learn this way what do I do and there is a is he really not getting it or is it and this is kind of a plan a I guess I'll use that term is he just not wanting to do it is kind of a common attitude is he being stubborn right is he just being stubborn yeah and from my experience I will tell you that if your child is really, and they're like six, seven years old, and they're still not getting it, and they're showing some of the other signs and characteristics of dyslexia, and they're really fighting you on it, chances are there's something wrong, because most kids, there's a few, but the majority of kids, they want to learn how to read. They don't want to struggle. They want it to be easy. They see it easy with their siblings. They see it easy with their friends and they want that. And when they're fighting and it's hard, there's something else going on. Almost always. That's another important thing too. You said six or seven. So if you're four-year-old, because I know that even though Charlotte Mason is a more of a delayed academics approach, we do have people coming in who have been trying to teach their children to read it at four years old. And at four, if your child isn't getting it, it really very possibly could be um, developmental, that they just need to wait. Right. But once your child is six or seven, if they're still not having issues, then, I mean, if they're still not getting it, there may be a deeper issue at play. You know, any parent that tries early, because all parents want to work on things early, there's things that you can go and put in the back of your head. Ooh, my child isn't rhyming. My child's having trouble memorizing some things. My child, and there's things that kids do at three, four, and five years old that are easy for kids. They love nursery rhymes. They love learning them. They love to be able to rhyme words. They can start rhyming cat and hat. They can start telling you the beginning sounds of words. There's things that, you know, some are kids are really messy. Some are less messy. Some of them are learning to tie their shoes. Some of them get left and right real easily. So when your child is struggling in a lot of those areas as, as a young child, that's kind of a light bulb. Hmm. We might need to just keep that in the back of my head and really watch what they're doing because you can start testing for um, reading issues as early as five and a half. But most parents want to wait and see if there's developmental, you know, because kids do develop at, develop at a different rate. So by the age of six or seven, 
um, and they're still not getting it, definitely the earlier you can intervene, the quicker you can change direction and they can read. And the younger that they do, um, the younger that you catch it, the less time it takes to bring them up to grade level and to be where they should be. And a lot of parents, I don't, uh, my average age of my clients is probably nine or 10. I have some in high school and I have some, the, I think my youngest is seven, but most parents I don't see until nine or 10 because they do wait. And I'm always like, oh, I wish I'd seen you like two years ago. <laughs> so It's a hard call. When do you ask for help? It is hard. Because you're still in a little bit of that guilt of I'm not doing it right. So something mm -hmm. is, my presentation's not there. My, 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 me, me, I'm not doing something for my child. And you keep stretching it out, hoping that it will come. And then a light bulb hits you and you realize it's not. And so let's start talking about um, some of the causes of reading issues. Now, we're not going to talk about um, modality deficits, meaning if your child is blind or, has, um, or is deaf, that's outside of the scope of this podcast. So the other ones we'll talk about is um, we'll start with no or inconsistent instruction. And I know that that's what Lori was just talking about. We often have mom guilt that we're not doing enough, but sometimes we really aren't, right? You know, let's be honest. Right. Sometimes, um, especially if you come from a very unstructured educational philosophy background, right? Um, there are some that say that if you just surround your child with books, that they will spontaneously begin to read, that this is something magical that happens and for some kids they do you know mm -hmm. you hear about kids just teaching themselves to read but for most that's not the case most children actually need instruction in learning to read yes that is true so I think of it like even if I know even if I could speak Arabic which I can't by the way but if I could I would not be able to read Arabic because I have never been taught. I don't know the Arabic alphabet. I don't, or whatever it's even called, the writing system. And so we do need, we need to give our children that same background as we would expect to get. We need, um, we need instruction in it. So Let's see, consistent instruction, right? Would you say every day? I would say for me, I would say you need consistent instruction and some kids will pick it up. Like you said, you surround them with books. They're going to learn and teach themselves. But those are the rare kids. Then you have, you know, the rest of the group of kids where they do need, okay, someone needs to be telling them the alphabet. Someone needs to be showing them, you know, the letters and that they have sounds. Um, and then the correlation into books. One of the things I always tell parents is make sure you use lowercase letters, not capital letters, because when you read a book, 90% of the letters written in lowercase letters. So when you go and you look at preschool stuff and early kindergarten stuff, a lot of it is all done in capital letters. But I really urge parents, use lowercase letters. And yeah, you want to use some sort of phonics. You will need to teach sight words because there are some sight words you cannot sound out. 
Um, you can go on and look at an heirs list, adult list, Google a hundred, the top 100 sight words. All of those things, they're hard. They're not able to sound out. So you need to expose your kids to those things. Um, and yeah, kids will start to learn to read. And there isn't necessarily a single method that works better than others. There's tons of programs out there and each family and each, you know, has their own style. But if your child has any type of learning difference, and that's not even just dyslexia, if they have a learning difference, they have the things that we were talking about earlier, um, then you will need a more consistent program. So once we get the inconsistent instruction out of the way, how long do you think that consistent instruction should be before parents think, hmm, maybe there's an issue that's causing it? That's more than just that I'm not consistent. Yeah. I, I think that answer would vary. Um, and I know this is where... <laughs> Parents are like, really? I want a, I want a definite answer. And there is no definite answer. Right. Um, and that's just why it's so hard. I think if you see signs when they're in preschool and early kindergarten where they're really not understanding um, the sounds at the beginning of words, the sounds at the end of the words, they can't rhyme. They can't break their words into syllables. Um, they're still struggling to tie their shoes. Um, they're still struggling on which hand they want to write with. Um, all of those things, those should be light bulbs going on often people's heads going, Ooh, I might have more. And then they're not getting, it doesn't matter which program you've used. They're not, they're not catch. They're not kind of figuring it out. Um, they're really struggling with how they spell their handwriting might be atrocious. That's another big sign that tends to go with dyslexia. Um, all of those things at that point, I'd be like, Ooh, I think maybe we need to look um, a little closer, even as early as five and a half or six, stop and go, Oh, we, we probably need to, um, look and see what we're doing and maybe try a different program that has a more structured approach and see how that works. Um, some parents, you know, they don't see those signs. Those aren't there. And the kids are picking this stuff up and they are starting to read. One of the big things I get is my child's reading grade level stuff and they just can't spell and they're coming to me at like second or third grade, but they're not, their reading speed is really low and they can't spell, which means what happens is these kids make it to third grade. <laughs> third grade is like a big key, especially with the new testing that you have to pass. If you're in public school and stuff, you have to pass the test in order to graduate or move on to fourth grade. Right. So in Arizona, Oh, yeah. I'll just say this right now. In Arizona, we have a program called Move On When Reading. And that means that if your child does not pass the third grade reading exam, they are not allowed to go on to fourth grade unless they have an IEP that says specifically that they have a learning disability in reading. So you, that's a big, that suddenly they realize, oh, my, kid, my child was reading but not fast enough and they can't spell. Those would be, or they have reversals after seven years old. All of those would be signs that we definitely have a bigger issue. I was reading um, or I was watching a YouTube video of the International Dyslexia Association, and she said um, reversals after two years of consistent mm -hmm. handwriting yes. practice. So for most kids, that would be in a public school system, that would be five to six years old. So when they're seven, right. then there might be issues. But if you're doing delayed academics, 
and you aren't teaching your children to write or is not starting reading until six or seven, you still want to wait. Those just having reversals would not be your only no. sign. If that's the only issue because you still need to have a couple of years of practice. That's just a normal right. stage of handwriting development. Right. And one of the things that goes with that is that timeline when they're seven. So someone might delay starting, especially homeschool families are, you want to play, you want to learn and kids learn more through playing than they do through books. So I am all for play. <laughs> so yeah, you start, you delay till six or even seven. Um, you don't want to wait two years because they're developmental. Okay. They are developmentally ready at that point or should be. So they should pick it up very quickly because those areas of the brain will have continued to develop through play. Does that make sense? So say right. you start at seven. We'll just do a really late start. Say you start at seven. Most families, when they do that, they start closer to six. But say you start at seven. If they're not picking it up by eight and you're like, I have been trying and trying for a full year and you're doing you know, everything you can, that would be my warning sign. I would not wait the two years because developmentally at seven, their brains are ready. Even though they haven't been taught, they pick it up more quickly than a child who is younger. Does that make sense? So just to let you know that Charlotte Mason, we delay until six. And we often recommend delaying until fully okay. seven before starting formal academics. And Waldorf is the same thing. And we have a lot of our listeners are both Charlotte, are like a Charlotte Mason Waldorf mix. So a lot of our listeners will actually be delaying. Oh, okay. Time. Perfect. So just letting you know that. <laughs> yeah, no. And I love, I really like delaying till at least six. I'm a full proponent of that. So you're, <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't wait two years. That's my don't wait okay. two years because then you're really, you're going to see the differences very quickly because their brain development is still seven years old, regardless of whether you started or not. We talk about some specifics on what you're, you're kind of talking overall reading. My son learned his letters. He's been learning the sounds. We started the CVC words where he could sound them out, but we spent a year doing that and he could never get past that. So what are some of the kind of maybe milestones or bookmarks, benchmarks? Yeah. Um, one of the things is when kids do struggle, there are very specific benchmarks that you're looking for. And yes, you start with, can they identify the letters? Can they identify the sounds? And we're talking basic sounds. A says, ah, we're not talking all the different sounds that A can make. We're talking just the basic, then going right to the CVC sounds. And can they do three sounds? And some kids need very, explicit instruction just on that and the auditory sounds to make sure that they are forming it correctly they are hearing it correctly and so it can take um, and that's why kids that really struggle there are specific programs out there that are Orton Gillingham and some are more specific others are um, a little bit lighter and easier to use others don't and so you do you have to start with the CVC and with that though you then start introducing spelling rules so there's rules that go with the spelling of different words you'll start adding in plurals you'll start adding in um, sounds that you can't sound out um, and you can't move on 
from one thing to the other until they've mastered just, you know, you can't move on to CVC if they don't know there's in sounds. You can't move on from C words to um, adding on suffixes or things that you can't sound out like ing or ink um, because they can't do their basic sounds. And so you do have to, um, there are specific steps that you want to take. I don't know if that answers it or not, but you're right. And it can take a long time. And I highly recommend if you have a child that gets stuck in an area like CVC, words and they cannot move on highly recommend something like Barton um, because it adds in some of the auditory components and sometimes they need things that are even before Barton they might need um, a lips program a foundation and sounds program a PASP program which really works on their auditory skills because they don't have strong enough auditory skills those sounds aren't making sense to them and so that's where you want to get someone to take a look at your child and go, okay, what else is going on? And you already know that there's other things, but you want to make sure what else is going on because my child should be doing this and they're not, and it's taking us forever and they're not getting it. Those are clear signs. Okay. We have bigger problems. Do you know of a resource that would be available for parents that would say these are kind of the stepping stones that you should be looking for in the reading journey? Yeah, um, you can go. Ooh, that's a good question. That's an, ex an excellent question. <laughs> I can't talk. There's a place um, you can go on the internet to understood.org. That, that website has basically any type of learning difference that you can imagine. It has tips places to go, everything on it. Another one that I love is brightsolutions.org, I believe. That I think is it's the, .us, brightsolutions.us. Okay, brightsolutions.us. I'm like, something doesn't sound right. <laughs> it's typed into my computer. If you go on there, it has everything from what to look for in preschool to grade school, all kinds of stuff, and it has different things that you can do. And that's the that Susan Barton, who did the Barton program, which is – um, research-based and the number one Orton-Gillingham program for kids with reading differences, and it is amazing. Um, there are other programs out there that work, but it depends on what your child needs. Okay, so let's move on then to another thing that could cause uh, reading issues would be low IQ and intellectual disability. Yes, kids with intellectual disabilities, um, they struggle, it depends on where the, um, because all kids, if you look at an IQ test, there's areas that are higher and areas that are lower. Where they struggle will depend on what those higher areas are and what their lower areas are. A lot of times there's memory issues that are involved. Um, so they have trouble memorizing the sounds. They have trouble remembering the sequence of things. Um, they may not be able to comprehend. They may not have um, a lot of vocabulary. All of those components will affect reading. And essentially, a lot of the steps are going to be the same as a child with dyslexia, is they must have very sequential learning. You may have to slow it down even further, but you still need to take those same steps. They still need to build the auditory skills. They still need to be able to rhyme and do syllables and and it just sometimes takes a lot longer and you have to get a little more creative and play a lot more games with it because we know that children learn through playing games 
That's why delaying school works so well. You get extra playtime. We've learned that kids that play have less ADHD, less OT problems, less PT problems or physical therapy, you know, less speech, all of those things because of play. That same component works with kids with low IQ. The more they can play and it's turned into games, the quicker they actually learn it. So a lot of that component is you add in this specialized and specific instruction and you add in extra games to reinforce it. And it's amazing how it works. And it does work. I think that's wonderful, though. I was wondering if, if that's the only difference would be that it would take longer, but it would be a similar program. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be a level where the IQ is so low, they may not have even the ability to retain the sounds and stuff like that. But we're talking, if you're talking moderately low, 50s, 60s, 70s, oh, works beautifully. Yeah, the same idea it has to be very sequential because their brain cannot needs each individual step, kind of like when a child is learning how to crawl and then walk. You don't want to skip the crawling part. You don't want to skip that scooting part. Same thing with reading. You want to make sure that every step is gone through so that you're not missing it. You're wiring the brain the way that it needs to be to read the words. And then you just add in extra stuff to it to reinforce it. And, and it works. And the same thing, I know you have brain injury on there. That same idea works the same way with brain injury. There's some added stuff there too, but it's that same idea works. So let's move right into brain injury then. I'm going to let you and Lori handle this because <laughs> my experience there is zero. Do you want to jump in, Lori, or you want me to jump in? Um, go ahead and start it. Most kids with brain injuries, parts of their brain are not working, obviously. They have damage. The sides of the brain don't talk necessarily. Um, the connections aren't there. And we know from research and looking at different MRIs and CAT scans and all the stuff that they've done, that when you are learning information, you bring it in on one side of your brain, you transfer it to the other side, and then you transfer it back. And then it goes from short-term memory to long-term memory. It's a very complex pattern, and our brains just do it. Well, kids with brain injuries, those areas aren't all functioning. They don't necessarily communicate from one side of the brain to the other, and it doesn't come easily. And so depending on where the brain injury is, how much memory they have, short-term, long-term, what areas are damaged, you have to specifically devise a program that works for each individual child. There is no one program out there that is going to work for every single kid with a brain injury. I have a child um, with a brain injury, and he is not going to work the same way as Lori's child with the brain injury. There's Because they're going to have different areas that are damaged, the cool thing about brain injury is that the brain finds a way to move around the brain injury, just like stroke victims. They might lose the ability to talk, but then uh, many times you can learn how to rewire the brain and they can begin to talk again. So it depends on where the damage is, how severe it is, and how much of the brain is able to work around the damaged areas to figure out how to make it work. I know that not a solid concrete answer but it is very possible for um, kids and adults with brain injuries to learn how to read what resources 
guides, ideas. Um, like I said, we both have brain injuries in our children. My son was pretty extensive, but he's still pretty amazing. And it's part of it's the unknown because you don't know. We can't see the brain, so we don't know the connections. We don't know how the rewiring is working. We don't know what we should do, um, where to even turn or look for ideas. It might be something different. What would you say to that? Um, I would say a couple things. Um, one, I would, if you haven't already, um, a really excellent finding a neuropsych who is a brain injury specialist is worth gold <laughs> because they can help you with some of that. They can tell you exactly where, what areas are working, what areas are not. Um, and, and like my son, we have one and, you know, and I don't know where you're at and what's available. We're in a big city. So I have lots of resources available to me and we literally go in every year or every other year and she takes a look and she says, okay, these areas, there's no improvement. These areas are huge improvements. Here's where we're going to focus. And she helps me kind of direct what things that we can do to help make it better. My son has very um, severe, he does not have short or long-term memory. So memory is a huge problem. Learning those sounds and remembering them, he can look at something one day and then not have a clue that he looked at it the next day. So there's just lots of things that you have to do. But the one key is there are, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Diane Craft. She has a lot of crossover and a lot of, um, depending on where the brain injury is, the sides of the brain don't talk. Um, you do have to work. There's tons of um, like, uh, what's it called? Valid, valid, valid. I can't say it. There's this thing that uh, therapy that the OTs will use with these balls that are amazing. Valid or something like that. Um, there's the figure eight. I'm sure you've heard of the figure eight style learning. Um, the crossing over Diane Craft has a great one that works on being able to, to work on figure eights and learning how to write letters based on that figure eight and crossing over the brain so that they're literally going back and forth and all of those things. It, it looks different for each child. And definitely if you have a brain in your area, if any get on the internet, the internet is amazing. There should, there's, I know in Phoenix, we have some great brain injury resources and uh, organizations and you can get on and you can ask questions. Okay, here's, and they have specialists that'll just answer questions for you. So you say, okay, here's where the brain injury is. I'm really struggling in this. How, how can we, what things can I do to work in this area? And so I would just, every resource you have available, because the thing is, is every child with a brain injury is different. And these kids will continue to surprise I mean, my child, the doctors look at him and go, I have no idea how he's doing what he's doing. I'm not going to stop. We, I mean, I am not going to stop. We have done everything from crossover therapy to memory therapy to constant auditory. Uh, and he, he's reading now and he's actually reading and he's actually visually impaired too, which is another whole, <laughs> how he's reading. I have no idea. They're like, we're not even sure why he's talking or why he's walking. And every time they've said he will never we have beat that bar. So use every resource in your 
area, um, you know, find somebody who has, you know, if you think your child can read and, you know, Barton is amazing. I know it's nobody recommends it for brain injury, but I can, I have a living proof from my own child that it works, but we had to get him able to, you know, be able to recognize the letters, work on the sounds. He is 11 and he is just now starting to read. Um, it has taken me, <laughs> well, I got him at three. So it's taken me eight years to get him to the point where he is now beginning to read. So it can happen. It is possible, but it does take a lot of, um, a lot of work and really identifying what's growing, what's not, and how to make those improvements. So when you're doing these other therapies, like Diane Craft, the brain integration therapy, are you doing it for a full year, then going back to your neuropsych and asking, is this working? Or do you stop if after a month or two, you're not seeing a benefit from it? A little bit of everything. <laughs> it has been a lot of hit and miss for my one child with the brain injury. I have tried a lot of things um, that have worked, but then they stopped working because we've kind of reached the capacity and we have to go about it doing it a different way. Barton, um, he has been doing it now and most kids can finish Barton in two and a half or three years um, if they're on the severe end of a dyslexia diagnosis. And I'm just using this as an example. They can finish the entire Barton program in two and a half or three years if they don't have anything else going on. My son has been doing Barton now three or four years, and we just got to level five. So we might be doing this another three, four, five years. I have no idea, but it is the one thing that has been consistent, that it has worked. We have done other, other programs and other things, um, we, and, not, and we've blown through math curriculums. We, just I have to find what works and some things work for a while and then they don't work anymore. And so I'm constantly kind of adjusting or it's just too hard for him and he gets so frustrated. We have to go back and start from the beginning with a different curriculum. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're using, when you say Barton, you're referring to Barton reading and spelling. Yes, I am. So for people who aren't familiar, it is a specific explicit sequential reading program yeah specifically created for parents to be able to tutor their children is that right yes she um, made it because she realized that there were there's very few um, there's a lot of Orton Gillingham programs out there and there's some good ones but they don't go far enough deep enough or necessarily slow enough for kids that are going to fall in that moderate or higher um, dyslexia category where they struggle to read. The one thing Barton does not do is it does not work on comprehension. It does not work on some of the missing pieces. And that's one of the great um, things that I have that most Barton tutors do not have. Um, so she made Barton so that parents could teach their own kids or you could find a tutor that was Barton um, certified one of the things that I'm able to do is because I'm a certified reading specialist and a teacher, I'm able to add in the comprehension component, the language component, all those things, because what happens is kids with dyslexia or other reading issues, they miss so many pieces because you're trying to teach them language and 
capital at the beginning of a sentence and period at the end, and this is a noun and this is a verb, and they're like, I can't even figure out what the letters are in this word. So those language skills go out the window. They have no idea, you know, so until they're reading, then you have to go back and reteach a lot of the language skills, a lot of the read reading comprehension skills. So as a parent, it's really important to know that, that if you do have a child that's struggling with dyslexia or some other reading, even if it's low IQ, whatever it is, that until they actually understand those letters, those sounds, and they understand some of the spelling rules and you get a basis down, you, that, you, you can't even really teach language and stuff. You need to go back and do it on the back side. And a lot of people want to do it on the front end. Go, oh, I'm going to teach reading, I'm going to teach spelling, and I'm going to teach language all at once. And for these kids, it doesn't work that way because they're trying so hard to figure out what those sounds are and the letters are that everything else that you're teaching them or showing them is going, it, they can't process it. So that's what's awesome about Barton is that, that you can learn the reading and the spelling component, and then go back as a parent and teach the language component, teach reading comprehension component. And it is, it's very phonics based, it's sequential, multi-sensory, it's very explicit, and it's very intense. It's designed as intense intervention. And kids with mild reading issues, something like logic of English or all about reading will work. They will eventually get it because it gives them just enough. Um, but when you get into the more severe you know, that moderate, severe, and you have other, other issues going on at the same time too, any of that, you have to have a more explicit, um, more precise program to work. And Barton is the one and only that's out there. And by explicit, we mean every aspect is taught. We don't leave anything up to chance. We don't leave no. anything up for the child to figure out on his or her own in the expectation that, well, they'll just understand it at some point. No, and to the fact of a child will never ever be asked to do anything until it has been taught. It is taught, it is modeled, then you do it with them as you model it, and then they go and do it independently. And if they don't, aren't able to do it independently, it is built in that you go back and you start again. And you start teaching, you model, then you model and do with them kind of like a hand over hand method. And then they attempt to do it by themselves. And there's, it's built in so that they are never asked to do something that they have never seen, that they have never done, that they have not practiced. It is amazing. And, and kids work at their own pace because some kids go, oh, this is super easy. And they can just blow through a lesson. And then they come to where they, they stall out. And then you have to slow way down and other kids, you know, start off really slow. And then all of a sudden it clicks and like, oh, and they can go really fast. And each kid will go fast and slow through different lessons, depending on what skill sets they already have. And so that's what's beautiful about it is you are not going to skip a step. You are going to go through every single step, whether your child needs it or not, um, to make sure that nothing is missing. I think that's an important point of the whole CM mindset and philosophy is when you're reading the books and you're talking to people, you know, we've talked about different things, but there always seems to be that expectation that your six year old will learn how to read. And if they don't, you feel like you're doing either CM wrong or maybe it's not working. And I know Marjorie, you've looked into some of the areas with Charlotte Mason where she's written about difficulties for kids, but I think, as parents, we need to say, 
it's okay not to expect them to get it right now and that we can step back and our child is not like every other child and we can take these other methods and make them work for us. Right. Because with Charlotte Mason, remember she was, she was not specifically talking about kids with learning disabilities. Now, a lot of her methods are excellent for kids with learning disabilities, but that's not the population that she was instructing. Right. That's what, Maria Montessori, for example, was instructing. So yes, I absolutely agree. Sometimes we have to modify what Charlotte Mason talked about in order to fit our kids who do have the learning differences. And sometimes it's not even a disability, it's just a difference, a difference in how their brain thinks. And our kids are not necessarily going to just pick it up. And that's, that's one of the difficulties I do have with Charlotte Mason is that there's that expectation that they will. Yeah. But if your kid isn't, yeah. it's so easy to feel like you're failing and your child is failing mm -hmm. and it's not. They, they aren't and you aren't. They just need, they're that small group of children who need explicit instruction and that doesn't mean that they're going to need it in every area. Nope. But maybe this one they will. Well, and, and I there's think a reason there are so many curriculums. <laughs> Who's gonna go? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna carry on because I, I I think it's really important to remember too that we capture Charlotte Mason um, and her ideas mm -hmm. from a hundred years ago, right? Yes. And the fact of the matter is that she was reading the articles and the science literature about cutting edge neuroscience in her time, and I can I have no problems absolutely 100% stating that she would have changed her methods over these last hundred years as more and more information would have come out. She would have been sifting through this material. And so we are really in a position where so much of what she has done has stood the test of time mm -hmm. that she's still valid and applicable a hundred years later. But the fact of the matter is she didn't have all of the knowledge that we have. She didn't understand all of the, the workings of the inner brain the way we do now. And so I think that it's not, it, we are not failing in providing our children a Charlotte Mason education if we choose to um, try different approaches that she didn't have available to her. Do you know, like it, it, for us to say that, oh, well, Charlotte doesn't address this. So therefore, if you're not doing it this way, you can't be doing a Charlotte Mason education is, is completely ludicrous. It's just ludicrous, right? Right. And I think that we need to remember that. And I certainly think that that's something that we at Wildwood strive to do is we're striving to apply Charlotte's philosophy to modern day times. That's why I like the podcasts that we're doing. So Orton Gillingham, this isn't a person. These were two people. Yes. I believe, right? Yes. And they were studying reading difficulties in the 19... It was like 1900s. It was like 1920s, 30s, 40s, something like that. But remember, Charlotte Mason died in 1923. Mm -hmm. Right. They were not even publishing their findings until after she was dead. Yeah. And they were cutting edge at that time. Nobody else had been public. Well, they had been jumping off of some German um, mm -hmm. researchers. Uh, I forget. Gosh, I forget his name now. They were jumping off of one other German researcher's work. But still, this was not widely published material in her lifetime. This was mostly afterwards. 
their book, Horton Gillingham Manual, Remedial Training for Children with Specific Disability in Reading, Spelling, and Penmanship, was first published in 1935. And I guarantee she would have read it. I agree. She would have read it and she would have made changes based on it. Well, and even with the fact that they came up with the idea that, oh my goodness, there's people out there struggling to read, and why is that? And the research was cutting edge. The, the programs didn't even begin to come around until like the, it took several 20, 30 years after that before even the first programs, I think Spalding was the very first one to come out with a very Orton Gillingham based program. And it's been very slow to come out. And Barton is the first one that brought out a family friendly that a mom could teach her kids. And that's only been in you know the last 10 years 15 years so it's been it's taken a long time before a lot of this is even coming to the place where a typical family can find some place to help their kids right um, by themselves anyways it's it's amazing to me how long it takes but yeah Charlotte Mason couldn't possibly (laughs) you know we're talking 100 years ago Join us next time as we continue our chat with Kim Stoddard and learn more about dyslexia and some of the resources available to parents who are struggling to teach reading. Thank you for listening to the Wildwood Curriculum Podcast, Stone Chats. For more information about our free secular and inclusive curriculum based on the works of 19th century educator Charlotte Mason, please visit us at wildwoodcurriculum.org.